Rewinding Kaya FM on FM Rewind. Sidebar with Cindy on Kaya FM 95.9. Welcome to KFM 95.9, home of the Afropolitan. It's a nice Thursday evening. I hope you had a great day. Um, I had a great day. And we're back on Sidebar with Cindy with me, um, Dr. Cindy CEO Fansale. And our podcasts are up. Go to kfm.co.za and listen to FM Rewind. Um, tune in, listen to us on the DSTV audio bouquet, channel 861, or listen live on kfm.co.za. Medical issues, sex and family, finance, parenting and emotional development. Sidebar with Cindy. Cindy. Every Monday to Thursday, 7 to 8 p.m. on Kaya FM 95.9. So on Sunday, the 26th of May, the South South African um, Anxiety and Depression Group will be um, launching the hashtag Let's Talk Bipolar. Um, Bipolar Disorder. Um, affects about 1% of the population in South Africa, which sounds like a low number, but when you take into consideration that there are 56 million people in South Africa, 1% is quite a large number. Um, And bipolar disorder is probably one of the most misunderstood mental illnesses. And this is why there's still a stigma attached to it and why few people um, get diagnosed properly with bipolar mood disorder. And so this evening, we'll be chatting to two psychiatrists. We'll be chatting to Dr. Antoinette uh, Merrick, and we'll also be chatting to Dr. Lavinia Lumo, and they'll be telling us about bipolar disorder. What I'm looking forward to is your calls on 86 and your SMSs on 36959. On Twitter, the hashtag is SidebarCindy, KFM Talk. So let's welcome our guests. Um, good evening, Dr. Antoinette and Dr. Lavinia. Good evening. Thank you so much for being here. Hi, Dr. Cindy. So um, I think it's always important for us to start off with definitions. I never take it for granted that people know what, what anything is. So let's start off with definitions of what bipolar is. And then, Lavinia, if you could go into the symptoms associated with, with, with bipolar disorder. So we'll start off with you, Dr. Antoinette Marich. So bipolar disorder is um, a mood disorder which means it fits in the category of mental health disorders, which includes depression. Yes. Um, But depression and bipolar disorder are on a mood spectrum. And I like to think of them as on each side of the spectrum. So on the one side, you have depression, where you have, um, and Lavinia will explain the symptoms. And on the other side, you have bipolar disorder. And um, it is a mood disorder, which is a chronic relapsing disorder. Okay, so chronic meaning it's long-term. It's long-term. And relapsing, it, it keeps coming back. It can yeah. keep coming back. Okay, all right. And because of that, that's why um, it's so important to get an accurate diagnosis and, and treatment. Okay, all right. Dr. Lumu, um, the, the symptoms of bipolar disorder. All right. Um, it's important to just be aware that um, with the stigma of, of, of mental disorders, that symptomatology needs to be quite clear. Bipolar um, has two poles, so that's why they're called bipolar. So mm-hmm. it can be two spectrums. A person can present with depressive symptoms or they can present with manic symptoms or hypermanic symptoms. Mm -hmm. So it's a very difficult diagnosis to make because the different 
poles of the disorder can present at different times. Mm-hmm. So usually with um, patients who present with bipolar, they can present with either a depressive episode mm-hmm. or a manic episode or a hypomanic episode. So with a depressive episode, they'll typically have symptoms whereby they have a low, very low mood and loss of interest in activities, changes in sleep, appetite, energy, and in more severe cases, isolation, withdrawal, decline in functioning, suicidality, and 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 and, and that's important to be aware of because the symptoms can go on for up to a minimum of two weeks every day, mm. persisting uh, quite severe symptoms. So you can get a patient who presents in that episode. So the only time you are clear that it's bipolar is when they've had a manic episode or a hypomanic episode. So mania is characterized by a cluster of symptoms and patients need to have these symptoms for up to a week, constantly okay. every day. Because some people read the one symptom and think, oh, I have yeah. mania. So it can range from irritab- severe irritability, yeah. aggression, dysphoria, euphoria, this elated mood that just comes from nowhere and it can go on almost every day for seven days and then it can also range from changes in sleep so what typically happens they don't want to sleep they're Mm -hmm. not tired they're just on this go they have lots of energy um, and increase in new ideas flights of ideas a sort of um, grandiosity where they just feel invincible like they can take on the world lots of energy thoughts um, speed is in increase their their speech is pressured and why it's it's like a natural high and a lot of patients um kind of get stuck in it and not aware of what's going on in severe cases um a person can become psychotic where they lose touch with reality and it can result in uh, hospital admission so those are the general spectrums between the two so you can present with a depressive episode Mm -hmm. but the difficulty is then distinguishing if a person has never had a manic or hypomanic episode, which is shorter, which is about four days, um, that um, if they haven't had a manic or hypomanic episode, if they present in a depressive episode, it becomes difficult for the doctor. So one needs to take a very careful history because if you give the medication for depression, you could actually, in some instances, cause them to be manic or hypomanic. And then you know then. That okay. And I think, I think a lot of the reading around bipolar specifies that it is quite difficult to make the diagnosis. And this is why history taking is very important. So you're listening to Sidebar Cindy with me, I'm Cindy Fancel. And I have two psychiatrists in studio, Dr. Lavinia Lumu and Dr. Antoinette Mirich. And we're talking about bipolar disorder. So coming back to you, um, Dr. Antoinette. Um, so someone on Twitter is asking, um, can you discuss the link between narcissism and bipolar disorder if they exist? So this tweet came from Lerato Wabantu, um, at Lerato Wabantu. That's, that's a really interesting question. Um, so narcissism um, is, a, is a term I see very frequently actually on social media. Yeah. Um, and it, it, it um, relates to someone with an elevated sense of self, an elevated self-esteem. Okay. It generally ret- refers to a characteristic or a temperament which that person has or a personality type. Bipolar disorder, um, there, there is no specific link between the two. Okay. Um, so if you are, have narcissism, it doesn't mean you have bipolar disorder. I think where people can get confused is, as Dr. Lumus said, when people go very high, they start believing 
things so about those, themselves. So those delusions of grandeur mm. could yes. come across as narcissistic elements. Yes, and they don't even have to be delusions because okay. delusions are, you know, really out there. They okay. can just be an inflated self-esteem. Okay. And that they really think they're invincible. They're, they're not anxious. They're super confident. And for some people, it, it, you know, it works in their favor for a little while. Um, where narcissism is a will be a trait that that person will have all okay, the time. Okay. So we have Ursula from Boxburg. Ursula, um, thank you for calling. Welcome to the show. Um, hi, how are you? Good, thank you. Yes. Um, I wanted to know from the panelists, I've been having a problem with my workplace whereby bipolar is being um, placed as something that is madness and then I went to see a psychiatrist I've been on treatment and then taken off treatment again because my manager said that um, I was over medicated and that maybe there was a misdiagnosis and then um, when they say um, what is the difference between bipolar disorder and depression because I wanted the second opinion and as far as I am concerned people are treated very badly when they are diagnosed with depression and all they are called mad or they are called uh, um, all sorts of names. Yeah. And this month is a month of um, mental health. Okay. So what can I do to get the right second opinion? Okay, so let's, so let's just, um, just get one thing clear from you. So you were started on medication by a psychiatrist? Yes, I went, I was depressed after my mother's um, death. Okay. And then also because of work issues where my boss was harassing me. Okay. Um, and then when I went, I went for a second opinion. When I came back from the second opinion, one of my managers said that I was over-medicated. That this doctor was over-medicating me. Okay, so... And then... Okay, so Ursula, the second... So I wanted to know, because I didn't get a panelist name, and I wanted to know where do I go for a right um, diagnosis, one. Two, I want to find out, because somebody gave me advice to go to Sadak. Okay, so we'll, we'll, we'll get your details and we'll be in touch with you. So I just need to ask one more thing before, we, before you leave. So who okay, gave... Can I please listen to the answer on... Yes, you will. Just, just after I ask the question, who gave the second opinion? Was it a medical doctor or was it a, an, 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 a GP or another psychiatrist? Another psychiatrist. Another psychiatrist. He's a psychiatrist. But then after a while, because of my work situation, he became hostile. And when I went there, because um, they sent me to Alexandra for... Okay. Um, through a second opinion. And the woman said that my, my the psychiatrist gave um, her analysis and said that my work was unfairly. Okay. They were unfair towards me. Okay, so we so understand. Then, yeah. So then what happened is that um, I wanted then another opinion because they at work were giving me stress. They, were, they, they, they don't recognize mental issues. Okay. And... They make things very hard okay. for anybody that has depression or bipolar or any okay. disorder. Okay, Ushina, thank you very much. I think we've got the full picture. Thank you. Okay. All right. So, so Ushina's brought up quite a few issues. I think the first thing that's coming through there is is is, a, is an issue that. That this is the reason why most people won't disclose their mental illnesses at work. So the workplace and stigma in the workplace. She's also brought up the issue of, of you know, doctor hopping, right? So we're going to discuss that. And, of course, then, you know, getting to a proper diagnosis. So, so Dr. Anjanette Merich, would you like to start? And then we'll cross over to Dr. Levanyalum. So um, 
I think Ursula finds herself in a very common predicament. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'll just talk about the workplace and the stigma in the workplace. Um, people and HRs and um, people in, in the community do not understand mental illness. They do not yeah. understand depression. Um, a lot of them are don't have training, have never been exposed to it. And it can be a very stigmatizing you know, situation for, for their employees. So I hear what she's saying. It, it, it sounds like there, um, there was a diagnosis made and then perhaps someone at work was questioning the diagnosis and she had a second opinion. It seems like that's what happened. Um, and I think that does commonly happen when there's issues of disability and, and time off work. However, um, disclosing at work is something I always discuss very carefully with my patients, specifically bipolar disorder. Um, you know, we should be saying, you know what, you, you can disclose, you've got the right to disclose. But I always say, just be very careful of who you're disclosing to. Um, make sure that when you do it, you've got the backing of a psychiatrist, a psychologist um, with the appropriate paperwork. Um, because people generally just don't understand. Yeah, and I, and I mean, look, I'm very open about my mental illness. I'm living with depression. And the thing is, coming out with your mental illness, you are judged. Even that you've ever done before, you're mm. judged for it. And even that you do thereafter, Correct. you're judged mm. for it. And this is why, I mean, I could afford to come out because I have all the support that I need and my coming out has helped other people. But you might not be in that situation where you can speak out about your mental illness. So that's the first thing. So that's, that's, that's the workplace. The second issue that she brought up, which I'm concerned about, is how her work is now being judged harshly according to her mental illness and she mentioned a few companies and so Dr. Lumu would you like to just talk about that? Yeah, so I mean, there's specific procedures that need to be followed um, if if an employer has an employee where they're worried that their illness it might impact on their ability to work. Yeah. So for Ursula in her case, if the boss felt that she was over sedated on the medication, mm. the 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 first thing that should have happened was for um, the boss to obtain permission from Ursula to say, look, um, can we put in writing our concerns? to the treating psychiatrist to make the treating psychiatrist aware of of what is happening and you know sometimes it would have been a simple adjustment of medication or if the psychiatrist is concerned um, take the necessary measures to ensure that um, you know um, Ursula is accommodated in the workplace and it seems what happened in her case is that um, the employer went um, and obtained a second opinion and the thing is great that you get a second opinion but um, sometimes recommendations should have been provided because sometimes what um, companies do they have an insurance company and then the insurance company has an independent sort of practitioner who does an independent assessment and usually there's recommendations to say look is this person fit to work if not you know we don't board or you know recommend boarding as a, but what can be done mm-hmm. to accommodate the um, Ursula so I think in this case um, I think we need a little bit more work I agree with um, uh, Dr. Antoinette that there's a lot of stigma I am having to find with my patients that I don't even put the fact that I'm a specialist psychiatrist on a sick note I just put the essential information and thankfully I mean the laws have changed we're yeah. no longer required as doctors to disclose what the condition is. And I think this is important for people to know that um, as a medical doctor um, we don't put a diagnosis on the medical certificate. So all we have to write is general medical condition or, or you know, unless you say 
that we should put the diagnosis on. And I know that HR will try and twist your arm and make it seem as if, no, we, we won't accept this note because there's no diagnosis on it. You have the right to, dis- to, to not disclose your diagnosis. So we don't do that. So I, I hope that's clear to, 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 to everybody. And secondly, if work is querying the diagnosis, the onus is on the employer to put into writing yeah. what their concerns so are. So everything must always be in writing. In writing. And, and to engage the treating doctor to say, look, she's over-sedated, we're mm. concerned, she's operating heavy machinery, what must happen? So in terms of um, concern... The issue is also with moving from doctor to doctor. Mm-hmm. Firstly, diagnosing bipolar is very difficult, and one can f- switch from depressive episode to um, a manic episode over two years. Like the one year they can have a depressive episode, mm-hmm. you think you're treating depression, you put them on, and then the next year they become manic. So it's best to try and stick with one person. And and if you have side effects, go back to the doctor and say, look, this is developed. And then we try, unfortunately it's trial and error because there's no one drug that fits every patient with bipolar. Patients are very unique um, in terms of their response to treatment. So I'd encourage Ursula to go back to her treating doctor to try and, you know, sort out her her medication combination and to see the areas that, you know, the doctor can look at accommodating in terms of um, suitability for work. Sometimes as psychiatrists, we have to refer to occupational therapists okay. yeah, as well to assist us to ascertain, can this person work? What what are the deficits at work? How can they be accommodated at okay. work? And Dr. Marich, if, we, if a person was to get medically boarded, um, what symptoms would, would warrant a person being, being medically boarded um, after being diagnosed with bipolar disorder? So, um, I think to understand the term medically boarded, yeah. um, we, we're looking at the words temporary and permanent disability. Mm-hmm. Um, we really, really discourage permanent disability in all psychiatric illnesses, um, unless it's, it's been going on for years with, with very poor response to medication. So, it would be a temporary boarding. Um, and the, the process would be that you would approach your HR or your employer with a note and um, it, it does depend. I find in the small businesses it's a problem because they don't have disability insurances. They don't, if, you know, if that employee goes out, they're, they're losing money. Um, but in the, definitely in the corporates or any big organization in the public sector, they are, you need to go through HR. There are processes, temporary disability, three to six and, months. And you're, you're part of the process. So you're being mm. informed of what's happening and what's going on mm. the whole way through. This is not happening without your without your. No. Your, your, In your fact, the psychiatrist often starts, yeah. starts the process. Mm. We would write a letter say, please start the process for temporary disability. I'm putting the patient on sick leave. And then there's a backwards and forwards between the, the relevant agents. And the big corporates, they have outside insurances who then liaise with us. Um, and a team of people. Back to our topic of bipolar disorder, and I'm chatting to Dr. Lavinia Lumu and to Dr. Antoinette Mirich. So let's talk about medication. Um, we spoke about it before the break. So I'd like to know, um, you know, what medication do we give um, patients that are bipo- that have bipolar disorder, and the different drugs and the side effects as well, Dr. Mirich. Um, so I think one thing to just understand, as before I talk about medication, is bipolar disorder. Um, is a condition which often starts in the late teens. Mm-hmm. So we typically say between the ages of 18 and 24. However, it's, it generally takes a good 
12 years to get an accurate diagnosis. Yo, that's a very long time. And this is because, it is a long time, and this is because um, patients often first present with depression. Okay. Then they'll go to a GP and they'll get given an antidepressant, which may or may not work, but it may work for a little bit, but then it stops working. Um, and then they go back and they may try another antidepressant or they just go off treatment completely. And by the time they have reached a psychiatrist who's someone who can make the diagnosis, they've kind of been in an untreated state for quite a few years. And um, so this is one of the difficulties. So one of the big things we're trying to do is to try and educate people to say, listen, if your moods are changing dramatically, please seek help and please continue to seek help. In terms of once you are actually diagnosed with bipolar disorder, and this is why it is very important to make the diagnosis because the medications are quite specific. So in bipolar disorder, we typically use um, a class of drugs called mood stabilizers. Yes. We also use a class of drugs called antipsychotics and um, in some people antidepressants. Mood stabilizers for people who may have heard of these, the big one is lithium, epilim, um, Lamotrigine, which is Epitech as well. Um, and these, these are also anti-epileptics. Yes, so they are anti-epileptics. So people get confused because they see on the box it says this is for epilepsy mm -hmm. and they don't quite understand. But if you can imagine, you know, if they're given for epilepsy, they, they stabilize the mind and that's what they do in bipolar disorder. So they stabilize the, the brainwaves, for okay. lack of a better term. Antipsychotics are... Um, it's a funny name, but they are medications which were already, originally made for schizophrenia. Mm -hmm. However, they found to work in bipolar disorder okay. in terms of not that you're psychotic, but just to stabilize the ups and downs. Okay. So what are we trying to do to get you on an even keel and not yes. to be swinging between the two moods? Yes. Okay. And it is, it is a trial and error process. Mm -hmm. um, and we often will use a combination of medications in bipolar disorder. Um, and the big thing to know about medication is once your medication is correct, you need to stay on it. Okay. Um, because every time you go off medication and restart, it's almost like you're immune to some of the medications. So we often have to use higher doses and new oh, medications. I see. So it builds um, some form of, of resistance, for lack of a better word. Yes, because we think there's, there's damage, brain damage, every single time there's an episode. I see. So therefore the medications become less effective. Mm. So the trick is to, once you get your diagnosis, to work with your doctor, because all of these medications, if you talk about bipolar, people talk about side effects. And the side effects most commonly are weight gain, sedation, and um, concentration and memory problems. And you can imagine these are, these are not great side effects. However, if you work closely with your psychiatrist, you can minimize side effects. You can find medication that works for you. And you can also at some stage maybe choose which side effects you might want live with just in order to maybe get a good night's sleep. And that's a very realistic um, point of view, mm. you know, because some things you just have to live with. Yeah. But as long as you know what you have to live with, it makes it easy to accept. Yes. Um, and I think that's why you need to have that relationship with your psychiatrist. And as Dr. Luma said, you know, if you're having side effects, please don't just stop the medication. Go back to the same psychiatrist if possible, um, because they'll know why they chose that and then they can choose something else. If you do, you know, doctor hop, which happens all the time, Yeah. Um, you sort of go back to square one quite often. So each time you change doctors or each time you stop your medication, you're starting from ground zero. Yes. Okay, so we have a caller. Um, we have Michael from Johannesburg. Um, good evening, Michael, and welcome to Sidebar Cindy. Hi, how are you? Good, thank you, and thanks for calling. Hi. Uh, 
I've been listening here the explanation of uh, bipolar. Yes. I was married to somebody who was diagnosed with borderline personality disorder, but we divorced now. Uh, and I've done enough uh, extensive research about BPD. I'm not, I'm not a doctor or anything. But during the explanation here of bipolar, it looks like somebody with borderline personality disorder can also uh, be a BP, a bipolar person. But a BP cannot be a, a BPD. Am I correct in saying that? Because now, you explain bipolar, you mainly mention depressive and manic, and then when you talk borderline personality disorder, we're talking uh, something between neurosis and psychosis. But during the explanation, unless if I don't understand the explanation of bipolar, and if it is true that a BPD can also have BP, then I have a problem, because BPD mainly, it is treated through therapy, the most notable one being that one by Dr. Marshallin and uh, DBT. Dialectal behavioral therapy, where there are the others that have been uh, researched by you, the likes of your doctor, Otto von Karrenberg, etc. So my question is just that. I I think I'm clear on that one. Okay, thank you so much. Okay, thank you, Michael. Okay, so we'll start with Dr. Lavinia Lumi. Thank you so much. Uh, Michael, that is a great, great call. He's done his research, for sure. Clearly he has, and I'm glad he has. That's a very good question, a very important question. Um, We have personality disorders which are described um, within psychiatry as a class of disorders that are sort of I call them disorders of development mm. and it's it's based on a person's um, temperament you're born when you're born you're born with um, certain traits um, and temperaments that form part of your personality and your personality fully de- develops and forms at the age of 18 and depending on your upbringing and what you've been exposed to and your core temperament, it'll determine what kind of personality you'll have as an adult. So sometimes in psychiatry, we see persons with personality disorders. So dependent on what has happened, if there's been disruptions in developments, minor things like um, child um, problems with the parents, parents divorcing, um, or more traumatic things like child abuse abuse or any sort of trauma or parenting difficulties that can cause uh, disruptions and, and result in a personality disorder later on in life. Borderline personality disorder is very common because they call it borderline because the patients kind of present as borderline anything at some point. They can come in as borderline manic borderline psychotic and one has to be very careful because as Michael has rightfully said the management for personality disorder specifically borderline personality disorder as he said is through therapy dialectical behavioral therapy versus bipolar which is based on um, neurochemical imbalances in, in the, the brain, brain. Okay. and you require medication for it so with a, with borderline personality disorder they get what are known as mood disorders regulation so and it's usually reactive Um, so for example a person with borderline personality disorder in the morning they they tell you you know doctor um, I had a fight with my husband in the morning and I was so angry they go into I went into a rage I threw things out the window and then afterwards I went to work and then someone smiled at me and then I was on top of the world and then I got home and Game of Thrones didn't end well and then I was depressed and suicidal 
suicidal. So they go through what is known throughout the day, mood okay. dysregulation, and it's in reaction to what is happening around, around them, them. Okay. because they don't have the ability to um, contain the emotions. They haven't or, to learned, filter, or to filter certain things. They haven't learned the skills okay. to cope versus someone who is depressed. They will be depressed for at least two weeks, if not longer. They're so depressed, nothing will change that depressive mood. Or if they're manic, it will go on and on, irrespective of what's happening. It, it goes on. It's clear in the criteria for mania. It's it's up to seven days that the person has that um, mood state okay. with other symptoms as well. It's a cluster of symptoms. For depression, at least five symptoms on the criteria. For mania, at least um, four symptoms. So it's a cluster, not just one. Okay. So that's the main difference. Okay, well, it's 25 to 8 and you're listening to Sidebar Cindy um, on Kai FM 95.9. Um, Dr. Marich, I wanted to ask, um, so is bipolar disorder hereditary? So I get, get often asked this and often when I've actually spoken about it um, on radio or, or somewhere, um, people do get quite a fright. But it, it is a, a hereditary condition. Okay. Um, which means that... If there is a first degree member, so your mom, dad or sibling, which has bipolar disorder, you are at increased risk of having it. Okay. If you have it, you also are at increased risk of transmitting it to your child. But remember what I said right in the beginning, that bipolar disorder is a cluster of mood disorders. So your children may be at increased risk of depression or you may be at increased risk of depression if there's someone with bipolar that is in the family. So we think it's an inherited um, vulnerability to a mood disorder. Um, but the inheritability, as we would call it, is um, with a first degree relative is about five, five to 10%. So it's not automatic. So people mustn't panic. However, if there is bipolar disorder in the family and someone becomes depressed or is unwell, please take them to be assessed because you can't leave people when you know that there is mental illness in the family. Um, so that's that's really important. Okay, so we're still taking your calls on 086-00-00959 and you can SMS us on 36959 and hashtag sidebar Cindy Kaya FM Talk. Um, Dr. Lumu, I wanted to find out how do these disorders present in children and teenagers? Because I mean, we're speaking about adults, but children can also present a bipolar disorder. All right. Yeah, usually the progression of um, bipolar disorder, it's very rare in children. Okay. And um, usually what tends to happen is around about the teenage years um, with bipolar, it's typically depressive episodes that start off. So they come in as, as depressed the one year so it's it's very difficult and it requires um history taking establishing in the family is there a history of bipolar is there a history of depression because the genes the genes are shared it's very rare in children but um it can happen and if it does happen in young children um one would need to be assessed by a, a child psychiatrist um depression is more common in children and we see a lot of that um, um with the pressures of the school system, lots of bullying. So parents need to be sort of plugged in to what is happening with their children. A child who's withdrawn, having nightmares, um, not wanting to go to school, school refusal, reporting bullying, a withdrawn child. Um, one needs to look out for, child, uh, for that child because especially in children and adolescents, unfortunately, when a person goes into a depressive episode, the incidences of, of suicide, our suicide rates 
are going up mm. quite a lot and a lot of times unfortunately you know if someone has a first episode of depression and it's untreated it can it can result in a, a suicide as, as death and with bipolar disorder there's a 15 times higher risk of suicide um you know in the population than the general population yeah there is um I mean, I think one of the re- recent um, stats I saw was there's between about a one in four and one in five risk of a um, suicide attempt. And I mean, I would say it's, it's probably, it's very high. It's a good 15, 20% maybe of people with bipolar may eventually die by suicide. In, in my population, I would say at least 75% have attempted at some stage so it's not something to um, take lightly just one thing on the teenagers um, I don't want parents to get worried about their teenagers you know teenagers can look very bipolar and um, because their moods are up and down all the time so you really need to look at the bigger picture how they're functioning at school so if they're doing okay at school but then just screaming at you in the afternoon that's not bipolar right, so that's just parenting issues you must just you know be strong <laughs> yes basically Okay, and, and if a teen is diagnosed with, with depression, um, you know, the, the, obviously the best person to see is a child psychiatrist. And until what age can you take a, a child? At what age do child psychiatrists stop treating? So, I mean, I think... It's a cutoff. I think in, in South Africa, I would, I would say more, you know, if, if you're worried about bipolar, see a child psychiatrist. We don't have enough child psychiatrists. In so, so what's the age cutoff? Is so it it's normally 16. It's normally 18. Okay, but, all right. But, I mean, they're only about eight... In private in Gauteng so it would generally be a general psychiatrist or, or your GP in terms of depression mm. um, and then if they are not managing the condition they can refer on. KFM 95.9 home of the Afropolitan so sad about Cindy and you're listening to me and I'm chatting to Lavinia, Dr. Lavinia Lumu and to Dr. Antoinette Mirage. So Dr. Lavinia, um, so in our culture the black the black community mental illness is something that is difficult to discuss we really talk about it we, i think we're getting better now because of social media and, and all the all the exposure that's that's been happening and with people like me coming out with our mental illnesses um how do you how do you cope with that in, in practice and what, what do you see in your practice okay no that's a very important question um stigma is a problem nationwide, countrywide, worldwide, but it's even more of a problem amongst the black community, um, African community. I think the the issue is that um, with us as, as black people, we don't have an understanding of, 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 of mental illness. Um, if anyone is depressed, I remember when I was training in psychiatry and you are asking an African person if they're depressed, there isn't actually a word for depression. Yes, that's the first thing. Yeah, people talk about painful veins and neck pain, you know, um, but there's no word. There's no word for for, for depression. I think that that's the first thing. You're either mad and you must go either to a traditional healer because maybe you've been bewitched um, or you go to church and and that's what tends to happen um, with with a lot of patients and you and you know the issue is as a result of that we find I find that um, with African patients there's a delay 
in presentation. And as Dr. Merrick said earlier, unfortunately, untreated depression, untreated mania, untreated psychosis can be sort of damaging to the brain. So the later you present, the worse your prognosis, the poorer your response to treatment. So the first challenge is when I do a history, you'll find that... um, no one is able to say in the family who has a mental illness or what okay. it is and what medication because there's a thing called pharmacogenomics whereby we are able to say okay your mom responded to <clears throat> this antidepressant so you we will go for this antidepressant and you'll have a good response we're not able to even do that because we haven't got a proper history exactly. collateral history family history so all we are able to know is oh the the crazy uncle who and you know who's and we all village. have a crazy uncle yes. yeah Yes, okay. uh, who's in the village somewhere or, you know, unfortunately, some people on the street, um, not all, some people on the street who end up on the street, they probably have untreated a mental illness. So um, collaborating with traditional healers, collaborating with um, church leaders is an important thing. Um, so, you know, and then the importance there is is to treat patients holistically. So yes. we're not rubbishing. So, you know, even though we practice Western medicine, you're not going to rubbish, um, you know, something else, because if you do that, you then you, should, you shut the patient out of out of everything. Yes. Right. They'll drop everything. Yes. So it's important for us to be able to transfer patients in and out of yes. of both of both sectors of medicine. Yeah. So I think what has happened is there's been un- unfortunately a lot of famous people, celebrities have died mm. as a result of suicide and it's sad that it has to, had to reach that point for an, an awakening that's happening in our country amongst um, the black communities to acknowledge that we need to take a step and even your work that you're doing, um, Dr. Cindy to create awareness, to advocate that it's okay just because you have a mental illness, it doesn't define you, it doesn't mean you can't function, just go and medication get help and you can be functional so the and then i find with um us as black people there's often a confusion between having a psychiatric illness and a intellectual disability so just because you're diagnosed with bipolar doesn't mean now you're not clever Mm -hmm. you can't study you can't be a lawyer a doctor or do whatever you you used to do on medication so um we often see uh traditional healers uh, p- people who've gone to traditional healers and sometimes uktwasa the calling yes. is a common presentation that we see in psychiatry where it's sort of gray is is the person really psychotic or is there a cultural calling or uktwasa that's happening um, where they need to go and they've been called to become a sangoma and you know sometimes it's happened where a patient comes to us and they've actually consulted a good traditional healer and they said that no this person is not undergoing uktwasa they've consulted their ancestors and in actual fact this is a psychiatric illness and you know we are going to treat them or sometimes we treat them and then they still need to go and undergo the calling so sometimes it's a bit gray and in those cases we you know we we find a way to work with traditional and healers it's important for us to work together yes yeah. Okay. um yeah Okay, so I'll be taking um, um, a call from Piwa, 86 Piwa from Fosler, thanks for calling. Hi, 
Hi, Dr. Cindy. Hi. Um, I would like to find out. So I've been diagnosed with depression uh, about three years now. Yes. Been on medication for the entire three years. How long has someone has to be on medication? Because sometimes I would feel that I'm feeling better now. However, obviously, when you go to your psychiatrist, they would tell you to still continue taking the medication. But there are times where I would stay a week or two without medication and I'm functioning properly. Okay. Thanks for that. Thank you. I'll listen on the radio. Okay. Dr. Antoinette Merch? Um, yeah, that's it's a very common question. Um, so the caller was saying that she's been treated for depression. And for she's three, been on treatment for four, three years. Three years. Yeah. yeah. So... Um, the standard answer I'll give is please consult with the doctor who prescribed the medication and um, discuss it with them. However, if it's, it all depends on how many episodes you've had of depression. So if it is your first episode, um, doctors will generally you know, say you will need to be on medication for, um, I'm talking about depression now, not bipolar yes, disorder. Yes, depression, because yeah, she specifically spoke about depression, yeah. yes. So if it's your first episode, you know, at least six to 12 months. However, depression like bipolar disorder is often a relapsing condition and we know that once it relapses so after one episode which is treated and you're off medication you've got a 50 to 60 percent chance of having another episode if you have another episode we say you need to be on medication for even longer so say two years once you've hit your third episode we are saying five years plus in terms of medication. And some people could stay on medication for life. Yes. Okay. Um, so it really depends on which episode it is. Mm -hmm. It depends on how she's functioning. It depends on stresses in her life. However, you know, if she's going on and off, it's probably not a good idea. She needs to speak to someone and decide, I'm either going to go on or off. If she does go off, you know, do it under medical supervision. Tell your doctor, go see your doctor a month later and say, I've come off the medication. You know. And how do you wean patients off of medication? I think that's an important thing to ask. So in terms of antidepressants, um, antidepressants have quite a um, bad rap. I think I just want to clear the myth that they're not addictive medications. People feel they are addictive because often when you come off them, you experience withdrawal symptoms. Just because you experience those symptoms does not mean it's addictive. However, when you go off medication, any any psychiatric medication you need to go off slowly so i do not recommend people just stopping at cold turkey the majority of people will have withdrawal symptoms nausea they'll feel even more anxious they'll feel even more sad and then a lot of people get a fright and they say oh the anxiety's back and the depression's back and i'm like no it's not back it's just withdrawal whereas if you had tapered it over say a month or two months um you could be fine and this is basically gradu um, gradually decreasing the dose. the dose as we go on until you're on nothing. Until you're on nothing. Okay. That would be the best way. Okay. And in terms of um, um, the, the sleeping tablets, because the sleeping tablets is what is addictive, right? So the antidepressants, the antipsychotics, the mood stabilizers are not addictive. It's the sleeping tablets that are, that are um, addictive. How long do you generally um, prescribe them for? So, because um, I was on them for six months and then I was weaned off. Yeah. So in a case of depression, um, one of the big things in treating depression and bipolar disorder is getting the sleep right. So um, the majority of patients, they may need to be on them for a month, six weeks, two months, three months, depending how long it takes in order for the sleep to normalize. Okay. Um, so it really is case dependent. Um, but however, if, if you need them to sleep, you need to take them, but they need to be monitored. And also, if you do have an addictive personality, it's really important to discuss it with your doctor because there are alternates that aren't so addictive.
Okay, so we'll be taking a call 86 We have Tracy from Pretoria. Good evening, Tracy, and welcome to the show. Hi there. Um, I had a question about um, hospitals and their training for people um, with psychiatric disorders. My husband um, has bipolar and he usually deals with it quite well, but he did have an episode in December. And in order to book him in to his hospital, um, we had to go to the emergency room. And there the people seemed like they didn't really understand what was happening with him. I actually, they actually ended up aggravating him. And um, I actually had to stop them at one point, get in between him and the nurse and explain to her what was happening, what bipolar was, what this episode was, um, and the way that she was handling it was actually aggravating him. Okay. But I just wanted to know, do other health care professionals um, get any training on this sort of thing? Thank you, Tracy. Um, um, Dr. Lavinia Lumu will be answering your question. Thanks. Yeah, Tracy raises an, a very important thing. Unfortunately, the discipline of psychiatry has undergone a lot of stigma. Um, older healthcare professionals didn't get exposure to psychiatry. Um, there used to be a lot of institutions long ago. And in line with the constitution, things have had to change. There's deinstitutionalization and it's promoting sort of destigmatizing and integrating mental health into general health care. And actually, Mental health should not be separate from overall health care. It's unfortunate that it's been separated. So with the so new... So moving away from working in silos and trying to integrate. Exactly. Okay. So moving away from that, with the younger professionals, health professionals, doctors, nurses, allied health professionals, um, as part of the constitution with the Mental Health Care Act, every patient is supposed to present um, to an emergency casualty because a lot of times their medical problems that can mimic psychiatric disorders okay. that need to be excluded. So it's unfortunate that they had a bad experience, but I mean, things are changing. And through um, platforms like this, hopefully we can get through not only to the general population, but to also our colleagues, our healthcare professionals. Okay. So the South African um, Depression and Anxiety Group, SADC, is, um, is, is commemorating bipolar um, um, disorder on Sunday, the 26th of May. So the hashtag is Let's Talk Bipolar. And um, the, 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 the aim is to break the stigma around bipolar disease, educate people, and make sure that everyone understands what um, bipolar disorder is. So in closing, um, some closing statements from you, Dr. Antoinette Mirich, and Dr. Lavinia Lumu um, about bipolar disorder. So I, I think um, the one important thing to understand is people can live with bipolar. Um, and that's one of my big um, emphasis one thing we haven't actually spoken about we've spoken a lot about medication and, and bipolar um, but i strongly feel there's a big role for therapy and psycho and education of the family um, so if you have a loved one diagnosed with bipolar or you yourself have bipolar please read up as much as you can sadac has got amazing um, information on their website about bipolar half of the half of the treatment is education um, so it is it is something you can live with um, but it does need to be diagnosed properly, medicated properly, and then you need the, the education and therapy. Dr. Lavinia Lumu. I'd just like to add to that, that just because you have bipolar, it does not mean that you can't be functional, achieve what you need to achieve, have children. We, we, are, at a, we are at a stage where you can be medicated um, 
and have children um, with when when you have bipolar. So um, just because you have bipolar does not it's not a death sentence. And I'd encourage people to reach out and seek help, and so that we lessen the stigma with and, bipolar. And, and where can we find you, Dr. Lavinia? Well, Dr. American, I am private practice. So if you Google, but any psychiatrist um, is available online, you can Google us online and you can obtain our contact details. Okay, so where do, you, where do you work? Um, I work at a Kiso clinic. It's a private clinic. A Kiso is a network of private psychiatric clinics throughout the country in different regions. In Johannesburg, there's a Kiso Randburg where I'm based. There's a Kiso Parktown and yeah, throughout the country. Anyone can Google um, which 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 Kiso would suit them. Okay. Anthony, you're a prolific tweeter, so I like you. I see you on Twitter <laughs> every day. So what's your Twitter handle? Um, it's Dr. Merich. D-R-M-I-R-I-C. Um, and I, yeah, I tweet about anything mental health care related. Um, I'm also in private practice, um, which, and I work in Saxonwold um, at the Oxford Healthcare Centre. Um, but if anyone's looking for psychiatrists, you know, contact SADAC. They've got a big network of psychiatrists who are specifically interested in bipolar. And they also, ha- there's a huge network of psychiatric clinics um, in the community. And although it, it does require often a bit of a wait, there are psychiatrists there, just like Dr. Lumu and myself. That's where we trained and were are from. Um, so please seek help. Okay. And in closing, I just like to say that um, you know, living with a mental illness is nothing to be ashamed of. You know, there is help, and you know, to get help, you need to to to, to seek it. So my message is, if you've recognised any symptoms on the show and you feel that you need help, please get help. That's that's my message for bipolar um, week and the hashtag being let's talk bipolar we'll continue the chat on twitter on sidebar cindy hashtag sidebar cindy hashtag kfm um, kfm talk sidebar with cindy every monday to thursday 7 to 8 p.m on kaya fm 95.9 rewinding rewinding kaya fm on fm rewind visit kaya fm.co.za for more